This Agile Life, Episode 137, Geological Separation. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. I'm John Sextro. And I'm Amos King. And together we are the two amigos. <laughs> two amigos. <laughs> Just the two of us. I think I've sang that quite a few times on, on different podcasts. <laughs> yep. Well, we're, we're back here again and uh, two, two weeks in a row. So starting the streak up again. All right. After, after our hiatus, but we're back. And you know, we were going to... You know what I don't miss? What's that? The hiatus. I don't either. Yeah, I missed you guys. I, I all of you. Well, at least I missed you, John. I don't know about all of the other people. <coughs> Tice. I, I, th- uh, I think... <laughs> I think you missed Mr. Tice. I miss Tice quite a bit. I'm I'm a little sad that he couldn't make it tonight. Yeah. Uh, or was, last time. I was really hoping to to get to rekindle the fire that we have between the two of us. Mm. <laughs> uh that's scary and awesome <laughs> all at the same time. He was supposed to join us tonight, Amos, but he's like in Seattle or something, and he said he doesn't understand how time zones work. Time, and, zo- uh, time zones are hard. You know, uh, I know that we had a topic today, but but maybe we should touch a little bit on time zones. Am I gonna am I gonna mess everything up if I change topic a little bit right now? No, no, that's okay because you know because of the time zones, it'll all work out. <laughs> so. Time time zones are tough. Uh, it's it's okay, I think, if you get like a you know you have a team in two different time zones, but when you have a team across more than two, scheduling meetings and everything else just starts getting difficult, and and communicating when you actually want to meet can be really difficult if you're not using like a some calendar system that automatically converts, but it's, you can't really send an email and just say, how about we meet at three? Um, because then everybody's trying to convert. And then you have some people who have time changes at different times. I don't know. It just gets super complicated. It gets, it, it, it gets even more complicated. I think when, um, when, when everyone doesn't have, like like they're not on their own their own quote unquote schedule like if you're if you're also in an office of people and the office of the office of people runs around a particular schedule mm-hmm. and 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 you're two hours ahead and they're two hours behind or whatever the case is, and so they kind of have they kind of have a regiment and a schedule that's going on where they are, and then they're trying to sync with you on whatever your different schedule is if everybody is if everybody is like remote and working from their home, then the schedule can be whatever you want it to be. And I can, I can pretend I'm working at the same time that you are, that my schedule aligns with when, what your schedule, what your time zone says it is. But so, when, I'm, when I'm actually in a place, it, it sort of has an artificial so do you think framework it's, wrapped around it. Do you think it's easier for an individual that's remote? Um, to a, a co-located team versus two co-located teams? Yes. Yes. 
And I think well, the, I, the, the the number one way I would do it is where everyone is everyone is remote. In remote own, first in their own box. Yeah, remote first. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that once it, once you have one or two people remote, you definitely have to go to the remote first mindset or it's really, really hard to feel like a team. It feels like you have one team that's co-located and then you have the remote person or a couple remote people. Yeah. And then you basically have two, two separate groups that just happen to be sort of uh, working near, near, near each other in terms of the code anyway. So, so what, what makes it hard with just two separate offices completely with their own people? But like, uh, you know, let's say you have a team here um, in central U.S. time and a team in London, right? So they're six hours difference most of the year. For part of the year, they might be five or seven or whatever. I don't know how the time change <laughs> falls. I know that we change time at a slightly different time than they do. So well, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. So for like two weeks, you're stand up. Everybody's late to the first one, and then then it all changes back, and you're like, "Well, what just happened?" Um, so, so how how does two different teams two it's one team two groups of co located people? What what are the challenges there? I, I would I'll take this to an extreme and say even if even if your team, even if one team is like in building A on the same campus and, and the other team is in building B on the same campus, um, it's hard. And so when you, when you extend it to like the Midwest uh, central time zone, U.S. central time zone over to Greenwich Mean Time and in London or something like that, it's just exponentially harder. And the, and the problems are, just, are not just time zone related. It's um it's communic it's all communication based. The fact that we have ephemeral pop up conversations uh, in the in the work in the team workspace that uh, that you you have to either pause or be mindful of and say wait a second we should really have the rest of the team here for this. Let's get connected with our London office. Well, it's three o'clock in the afternoon where you are. It means it's nine p.m. Or or such or something about almost nine p.m. Whatever. Yeah, it, it should is, be nine, depending on the time I mean, of year. That's right. For a couple of weeks, it's eight, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, well, okay, we can't have the conversation now, so we have to pause it until they're back and we're back at the same times. And that means that you know when when you swing around to when your calendars or when your work schedules line up again. They've probably been at work for four or five hours before you get to work, and now you know have <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's almost twenty hours from when you felt like you needed to have the conversation. So there's just all this time that sort of ends up whittling away down the stream as you're as you're waiting to get back in sync uh, yeah. time wise. Well, and I, and. You know, the the meeting that you had that you're you're waiting to have with them, you're not just going to not talk about it with your local team until tomorrow. Right. So you're going to have some discussion. And then by the time the next morning, next stand up, whenever you can actually talk to everybody else, I'm sure that there's things that you've forgotten 
about the discussion and there's important insights that they might have had that they're not going to have as you're telling them the conclusion you ended up at, which could be better if you'd worked with them. So I guess when you have two points like that, that are separated geographically, whether that's, you know, across campus or across the world, it, I guess it exacerbates the issues with, uh, what is it? Conway's law. Yes. Yeah. You'll end up with, you'll end up with, uh, software that's basically broken into two segments. You'll have like two components. Are you saying if I want to build a microservice architecture, I should remote everybody and not allow them to talk? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe that's why so many microservice architectures aren't that successful. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've experienced this firsthand with a, a, a team where we were, we were broken up in a, in that way. And we were broken up across a couple of locations and even further, we had two, two teams in one location and a, and the third team in a second location and totally fell. I mean, textbook fell into Conway's law. You know, we had a, we had a, a front tier, a middle tier and a back end tier. And it's like, Oh, why, why did we, why did we do this? And the middle tier was like just handing things from the front tier to the back end and vice versa. And it's like, what value do we have here? <laughs> like, well, it's the middleware. It takes the information from the clients to the programmers. <laughs> I'm a people person. <laughs> the middle tier was a people person. <laughs> So, and there was there was very little value to it, but it gave that 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 team a purpose and things to do where they weren't attached to the other teams that they could possibly. Uh, they weren't entirely like intermixed. They did have dependencies, but they weren't intermixed in the exact same code because they had broken up into these three these three code bases. So, so did what did you do anything to rectify the problem? And I smashed it into oblivion. What the and middle said, tier? No, the middle tier? No more, no more of this. We're suffering Conway's law, you know. And I said we have to, we have to reorganize. And there was a lot of, there, there was some, uh, some, some, some unhappiness about it. So did you bring it all back to a, a co-located space, or eventually, eventually we did. But there was, it was with a heavy heart to do that because we we really liked all of the people that we were working with. Um, but it just was, wasn't being effective. I I was really hoping that you had some successful pointers for, for geographically separated. Well, uh, I do. Um, but, and they, I mean, first is the remote first approach of make everyone remote, make, put everyone on the same, on the same level playing field. Did you try that? No, we, we didn't have the, we didn't have the capacity to try that in that particular case, but that's immediately where my mind went to was, could we, as a way to keep and continue working as a, as a team and keep all of the same people who've, who've built up some good relations um, with each other. Could, could we, could we keep everybody together and just sort of go into a remote first approach and it wasn't practical at the time, but one of the things we even considered was, well, what if we just sort of 
spread the people out around an office and and pretend it and pretend it like they were remote you know so that we'd had we still had five people in the same office and in this in this office and you had eight people in the same office and some other office but rather than have them sitting together you had them all spread out and so we sort of tried to approximate that a little bit by um doing something that's counter to just the way my, the teams I work with normally work, which is in a pairing fashion and had them at local pairing fashion. And so we had them all only remote pair. So everybody sat in the same team spaces, like I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but they would primarily uh, pair with someone who was in the remote location so that it would, hoping that it would more easily span, mm. help, the, help the communication span across the distance. I mean, think about how many conversations that you have at lunch with colleagues or mm-hmm. like you walked or over to get a machine. right you walked to get a drink and they they happen to be there too and so you start a discussion and before you know it you've been standing at the coffee machine for an hour and a half um but you're not wasting your time like you're actually productive in that hour and a half uh and then even at that point part of the team misses it but you don't probably run back to your computer and call up everybody remotely and fill them back in. You're far more likely to say, Hey, let's walk over here to, to John and, and tell him what we were just talking about and drag him into the discussion. It's, it's like, it's easy. And I think it's, I think it's hard to change that habit of when you see somebody, if you're trying to do remote first and you do have part of the team that's co-located or two separate geologically separated teams, they are geographically, geographically not geologically, maybe also geologically. Yeah. <laughs> that would well, be interesting. Geologically separated. Does that mean that you're in different generations? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> you have, a uh, uh, some lava floating between the two of you. It's uh, a new problem for agile development to fix <laughs> geological separation. I think that might be a show title. <laughs> uh, I'm writing it down. So geographically separated teams, like it, it's it's human nature that you know you you pass somebody's desk that you're working with, and you're gonna you're gonna speak to them more unless you don't like them. I mean, even when you don't like them, sometimes you end up speaking to them anyway. Then, anyway, you know that's true. Especially when, especially when it's work related and you have some sort of idea. You're right. I used to refer to it as um, as tribal communication because I, I I really think it goes back to something that is sort of um, just in, innate inside of humans and our ancestors to to have this this tribal form of communication where it's like people people and and you I'm using tribe in this case as like people that are just happen they happen to be around you they're part of they're part of your tribe for for lack of a better word and uh you you just have a tendency to communicate a lot more with the people that are just very very close to you geographically speaking spatial time space in space time, in the space time continuum, <laughs> you speak to people in your. You tend to speak to people in your space time continuum more. Well, whatever that means. I mean, it's hard to speak to them whenever you go back in time and your mother falls in love with you and you start to disappear. So, 
That's right. <laughs> well, that was That's a, uh, that was terrible. Spoiler alert. Terrible joke. Spoiler alert. Back to the Future. <laughs> if you haven't seen Back to the Future 1. Travel back in time Too to bad. 1985 <laughs> and watch it. What, what was that? It was it November? November something? November 12th feels like. Yeah, I have no idea. Somebody, somebody will correct us. Yeah, good. We like it when that happens. Yep. I especially like it if they can do their best, like, pretentious internet voice. <laughs> no, actually, Amos, it was uh, September 12th, 1965. So, uh, I, I, I do another podcast about Elixir software development. And uh, it's called Elixir Outlaws. And one of the co-hosts, Chris Keithley, has the best internet voice ever. And it usually all starts right, with, well, right. actually. And it's like kind of high-pitched, squealy through the nose. Like, well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't, I can't do it as well as him, but uh, it's fantastic. You'll have to uh, include a link to your your Elixir Outlaws podcast sure. so we can, sure. can listen to it possibly. So, so if, if people haven't noticed, um, uh, over the years, uh, I, I am, I would say primarily a developer. I don't know. I'm pretty much a mix between a developer and a project manager, agile coach, scrum master, and not a scrum master. <laughs> You you would rather say a project manager than a scrum master. Uh, yeah, I think you said there, project. I manager. think that there's more usefulness there. <laughs> oh my! Okay. Uh, well, you you know, actually, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, a scrum master is an agile coach, right? Basically, only it's an agile coach that coaches scrum, which I mostly disagree with. Yeah. So, okay. The job is what you make it. That, but yes, that is true. I'm not saying that there aren't scrum masters who are amazing and make great teams. I think John, aren't you a scrum master or you have been? I I have been, I have been. Yeah. I'm not a hater like you are. <laughs> I, 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 I just maybe haven't seen in, in many years of developing and dealing with scrum teams, it actually scrummed implemented well, but you haven't scrummed with me. That's true. That's true. John, after we, I can't believe all, we've all actually these never worked together. Yeah. We've worked like across from each other. Yeah. We've worked w within proximity to each other. I could, yeah, at one point I think I could have thrown a paper airplane and hit you in the head with it. <laughs> and probably did. <laughs> I would not doubt that. I'm I know that there were times when you touched me inappropriately. I, well, I was getting ready to say I'm probably more likely <laughs> to sneak up behind you and give you a big bear hug than right. <laughs> than throw That's a paper airplane at you. And that is how I define inappropriately touching me is sneaking up and bear hugging. <laughs> just just need some warning. <laughs> well, Yes. Yes, and so so there are advantages to being remote, <laughs> from what I understand. Right. It's much hard, much harder to be harassed in that particular manner. Yeah, but but if we were on a remote team and I snuck up behind you and bear hugged you, it'd scare you even more. I would call the police. 
if we were on a remote team and you did that. Yeah. Um, and I would have cause. That's that's probably true. <laughs> you'd have to you'd have to call the the police to bring an ambulance after you bloodied my nose. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Well, what do you? Well, so what do you think about remote? Because you sort of asked me questions about my experiences and what I what tips I might be able to share. But you've done you know like five years worth of work now as an independent person um, working. I'm assuming mostly rem- on remote teams. Is that right? Um, actually, most of the work is. I'm the remote guy or most of them are not remote teams. Um, I see it's hard. How, and how, how have you dealt with that? Um, it, it, it's really hard. So it's a whole lot easier. What I've found is that if, uh, they already have some remote people, uh, if, if it's a high functioning team that I'm moving into and they already have some remote people, it's great. Everything works out fine. Um, if it's not a high functioning team and they have remote, but they're not really communicating that well anyway, uh, it's really, really hard to break in. Um, just as hard as if you have a team that is all local only, uh, things that I've found that work really well is, um, actually bringing people in with me who are also remote. What do you mean by that? So if, if, uh, if they, they need, you know, two or three, four people, if I can supply all those people and bring them in with me, people that I know already and have some sort of rapport with, uh, it it really helps to make that team feel less remote. Um, because, you you have other people who are remote encouraging you to communicate and and so i i find that that actually helps me communicate with even the co-located portion of the team because i'm in this constant mode of communicating with everybody else um so they're just another person to communicate with um one of the great when you're working hmm? when you've been working like when you've been working by yourself or when you've, when you've only been, when you've been the one or the only, or one of the only remote workers, did you feel like you got forgotten where, where you, you know, were out of sight and out of mind and maybe lost touch with people for days in a row? Uh, I, yeah, outside of stand up, I have felt that, um, at a few places that I, that I've, um, had the, had the chance to work with, uh, the ways that I have gotten around that is, um, pair programming. It, if I pair program as much as I can, I, you know, me, I, I love people anyway. So I'm an extrovert who for up until this year, uh, was working in a room with no windows, (laughs) like brick building, um, you know, by myself verge of losing your mind. Yeah. So, so it, for me, it was really easy to stay connected because I'm so extroverted that I was constantly trying to find somebody to pair with or to talk to. Um, now some teams that didn't work out so well because the team was, you know, either really against pairing. Actually, I've never found a team that's against pairing. 
I have found teams that feel so overwhelmed by the amount of work that they have that they start to freak out after maybe an hour of pairing. They're like, Oh, I don't know what to do. Um, and then they just want to go, go back. Cause they're like, I gotta, I gotta go get this done. Um, yeah, they want to backslide. Well, yeah. Well, I think the big thing is, is that they're used to, you know, 10 tickets. Like let's say it's a team of 10 people. They're used to 10 tickets being in progress at the same time. And then when you start pairing and there's only five tickets in progress. And actually I, I will say this when I'm on, if I'm on a 10 person team that pairs all the time, we have five tickets in progress at any point in time. Usually maybe six. If I'm on a 10 person team, there are 70 tickets in progress at any point in time. If they're not pairing. Right. Uh, right. right. And, 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 everybody's doing the ticket that they want to do most and the other seven or eight tickets that everybody has out is a bunch of tickets that the manager really wants done, but they don't want to touch it. Uh, yeah, they're all abandoned, started, but abandoned. Yeah. Or like they're waiting on something, but instead of what I've seen on pairing teams is, is, Hey, we're, we're waiting on something for this let's get together and figure out how to get that roadblock undone right away where when the teams aren't pairing uh, and communicating very well, a lot of times it's like, okay, well I'm going to throw this over the wall to whoever I'm waiting on and I'm just going to move on to the next thing. And, yeah, yeah. So back, and, back, but back, but okay. Sorry. I was, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and especially if that ticket's not exciting, that's not, not what we're grabbing. Um, Oh yeah, so back remote pairing, remote work. Um, yeah, like it, like what did you do when when you started to feel like you were getting uh you were you were being isolated or you were you were falling falling away from people's mindfulness of you and and they were forgetting forgetting about you for lack of a better word. So I would I would constantly bug people to pair. Um or just ask them questions if it was a team that wasn't pairing. I just ask people questions all the time. Hey, where are you on this? Or, hey, I'm having this issue. Can you, uh, uh, what should I do? Um, Also constantly giving updates to the manager. You know, like uh, four to eight times a day, I would shoot the manager a message. Actually, I would try to shoot it to the whole team. A message of, hey, this is what I'm working on. Here's where I've been for the last hour or two hours. And uh, these are the roadblocks that I'm running into. So like little bitty stand-ups, especially if it was with teams that uh, maybe they were all kind of not pairing people and maybe didn't communicate a lot. I would try to do that a lot. And I think that it, it actually encouraged other people to start to say what they were doing pretty regularly. Cause I think after you put out a status message of what you're working on, other people feel obliged to admit to what they're working on or not working on too. Yeah. Uh, I, I can see that and I would hope that that would be the cause, but I've also known teams that, where they end up resenting a person for for that level of transparency into what they're doing, where they're like, wait a minute, this guy's telling, he's giving detailed information 
on a daily basis or on a, you know, four times a day basis to the manager. Now I'm expected to actually, actually sort of do live, live up to that standard as well. And then they often end up hating the person that has sort of started to change where the bar is. And I'm not going to say raise the bar, but really raise the bar was, was uh, for for the rest of the people. So I have to ask is, is that when they only reported it to the manager or is it when they reported it in like an open chat room? Yeah, it was, I'm not sure that they were ever reporting anything uh, previously other than through, uh, maybe a daily standup or through a weekly standup so that, okay. you know, of, oftentimes it would be that a project manager type mm-hmm. came around, came around two or three times a week to sort of check in with somebody and say, how are you doing on this thing that you are working on? And like, other than that, people really did, you know, in, in, in a few particular cases, people didn't share much about what they were doing, but when someone was much more transparent and communicated much more frequently, then a few people would be like, Hey, that's cool. And I'm a hard worker and I can do the same thing and, and show what I'm doing. And then there would be other people that are like rats and frats and church. I don't want to build, I don't want to tell people what I'm doing. Cause I wait, I wait until the end of the day to do about an hour's worth of work. And then I go home or I, I guess be, I wait until Friday to work. See, that's the great thing about being remote. She don't normally get to hear the people grumbling about it. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I think I've seen similar things whenever it looks like I'm only communicating with maybe the manager, uh, because I think that kind of in some ways for some people can maybe feel like you're trying to kiss up to a manager. Um, yeah, but I, I have a tendency to try to treat the entire team as the manager. Cause really to me, you know, we, we are all owners of the product. We should be treating the product as if we're all, all trying to make sure that everything's getting done and, and really taking our, our ownership in it. So if I treat the entire team, like, like a big blob of a manager, (laughs) then, then people seem to jump on board and either want to do it, or they're just glad to know what I'm doing and what's going on. Um, which is, that's, that's good to hear. I would say that you're probably, you've probably worked with um, a pretty consistent, consistent, uh, you know, good, good class of, of people who, who wanted to have a, who wanted to do things differently than the way they're already doing them. I've had some experiences where it was a lot of people that it was groups of people where they didn't want things to be different. And not, so I, I didn't mean to say that they weren't hardworking or that they weren't good people or people, smart people that were trying to do a good job, right? but that they were just set in their ways and they didn't want somebody to upset that apple cart. It's easy to get stagnant, uh, and, and set in your ways. I, I do it too. And I need somebody to come in and, and break that up for me. And it can, it can be really, really frustrating when you have to go above and beyond or whenever you realize that you're not meeting your own standards, that's a really sad place to be, but I, I'm always happy to have somebody. I, I would much rather them start setting that bar higher by by doing it and and leading by example than coming in and just telling me that I'm wrong. <laughs> 
So one one of the other things I wanted you to talk to a little bit was this. Um, sometimes I've, I've sometimes I've experienced circumstances where the person that is is acting or is in the remote the position of uh, <clears throat> the person that is in the position of of being remote is more passive and and is asking that the co-located people work harder to keep that remote person informed and it happens to be in in the way you've described things Amos is that you seem to take personal ownership of working harder almost to try and keep yourself informed rather than holding an expectation of others that they need to work harder on your behalf to keep you informed. I I think if I want information, uh, whether I'm co-located or remote or you you have to go after it yourself. Uh, I, I don't believe that you can change other people. People will change on their own if they want to. So if there's something that you need, you need to be going for it. Uh, whether that's, you you know, at, at work, at home, um, whether it's trying to further your career, you can't expect someone else to do it for you. So, uh, so I think you have to go after it yourself. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? I shouldn't expect people to do it for me. That, that's right. Unless it's Tice. And then whenever you ask for water, he should go get you some water. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, that's, that's what he does for me. So <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, I, you, no, nobody's going to, to do it for you, but you, uh, I mean, you're going to have people that, that try to help you out, but the people are going to try to help you out mainly because you're trying to help yourself out. It's, it's rewarding to help somebody who's attempting to help themselves. In best case scenario, I think that you're hoping for somebody to meet you sort of halfway, but you're prepared. It sounds like in your case, you're prepared to go more than halfway to make sure that things get done. Well, you know, uh, once you've you've, uh, gone, you know, 51% of the way, it's a lot shorter to keep going all the way than it is to turn around and go back. Right, I think uh, what is it? there's an Amazon show called The Patriot, where they they ask about how do you how do you get through a line of electric fences? He's like a spy, and he said you got to get you got to just force yourself to get fifty one percent of the way because after because it's gonna hurt and it's painful. And once you get fifty one percent of the way, it's more painful to turn around. So at that point, you just keep going. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds like the sunk cost fallacy. I think Jason Tice <laughs> would remind you of the sunk cost fallacy right now. Well, I, I think that there is that, but uh, I there, there you can recognize whether you're spending too much time on something. Even if you're going, you're never, I think, going to make it 100% of the way. Uh, uh, in a lot of situations without the support of everybody else coming, coming to meet you at some point. But the closer you get to them and the easier you make it for them to meet you, the more likely they are to put the effort in to meet you there. Yeah. Especially. And, and did you, go ahead. Did you, uh, what sort of things did you do with your teams as far as like building um, T 
team norms or um, patterns of behavior or working agreements on on uh, on how you would operate? Did you do something formally or did you just sort of figure it out as you went along? Uh, I, I just figured it out as I went along. Um, try to get, you know, I, I'm, I've said it a hundred times probably or more is that I try to get teams to do retrospectives and have discussions every week about how things are going to get better. Uh, even if I can't get them to do that, I will bring up at morning standups. Um, Hey, maybe we could try this thing out. Maybe we could try that thing out and, and just get better. Um, and, and frequently another thing that I do with co-located teams is I ask them to set up a computer with a video screen. Um, like I'll get on Google Hangouts or Skype for business or whatever video chat software they want to use and plop down in the morning and log into that. And then they see my face all day and I may not be physically present, but they can still walk past me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've actually had people, uh, at, at one location that they did that, that, they located the machine kind of on the way to where you go get coffee and soda and stuff. And people would stop on their way over there or on their way back. Um, so I try to uh, get it placed into a high traffic area for that team if I can. And that, that has been a fantastic way. And I'll even stop people. Sometimes I'll notice cause I'll keep a couple monitors up and one of them will be that video. And I'll notice somebody heading to, to get a drink or back. I usually wait till they're on their way back because sometimes it's located like near a bathroom and you don't want to stop somebody on their way to the bathroom. So I'll see them on their way back and I'm like, Hey, Hey John, 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 stop for a moment. How's your day going? And just talk to them. And I, I, that's another thing that I think being remote is take interest in their life. And I think that's harder to do remote for, for a lot of people because you don't feel as connected when you, when you're not physically standing next to somebody. But if you take an interest in their life, ask how their kids are doing, ask how their spouses, um, if they're not married, don't have kids, whatever, what you do this weekend, you, that small talk is really, really important. I, I cannot emphasize enough that stuff is often more important in the success of a project than any technical decision that you will make in the project. Hands down. I've, I think we've said it before too. I've never seen a, te- a project fail due to a technical decision. It's usually a teamwork issue. And the best way to, to make a team is to take interest in people's lives outside of work it makes them feel like your friends and that they belong as part of the group and that you belong as part of the group. And you feel like you belong more too whenever you are taking an active interest in other people's lives. Yeah. It really builds that trust and camaraderie. And you know, you got to go in with trust, right? And start with it. <laughs> well, that, that's what they say. <laughs> it's, it's not the, uh, it's not very often the, the assumed position. You don't often, have have an have people equally being trusting when 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 uh, when starting a new relationship. So there's a lot of work to be put in there. Yep. And even if you run into people that 
that aren't trust first, when you start like taking in interest in their lives, they quickly start to trust you. No matter how many times you successfully deliver ticket after ticket after ticket on time, ahead of schedule, high quality, doesn't matter. Yeah. If they don't have a camaraderie with you, it's it's barely recognized. So when you start off with a new team, do you do you insist or suggest that you you have a, a like a honeymoon period, so to speak, where you you start co located with the team, or do you just want to start off remote from day one and and leave it that way? I uh, I have a tendency to ask for a week or two on site if I can. Um, now the last client that I worked with, uh, most of the team was in Galway, Ireland. Um, and starting out day one, flying to Galway, Ireland is, is rough. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to schedule and it's not like a cheap adventure, right? If, yeah. if, uh, being here in Kansas city, if I had a client in St. Louis and, and told them, Hey, I, I, I need to come on site for a week. It's not really expensive. And, and especially a lot of clients want to do, you know, let's do a three month contract and see where things are at the end of two months. And then we'll extend, right. Even if they're going to extend for a year and a half, they, they want that initial honeymoon period to be as cheap as possible for them. So when you have a client on the other side of the world, they don't want to fly you over there day one because what if they decide after a month that they don't want you? And I, it's not the same if you're an employee because an employee, they feel like they're investing in a contractor. They feel like, well, we just fire him tomorrow. It won't be a big deal. <laughs> I, I I understand there's a big expense there, especially with international travel like that, but I almost feel like it would be even more of an imperative to get you to get you into the into the team space with the group in that case because you really you know hiring people and bringing new people into a team is is emotionally draining it's financially draining hiring people is a very expensive process and if they thought that they found in you a good person to uh, be added added to the team i think they would make it make take the extra expense and the extra time uh, to do that time to integrate with the team up front to help ensure a more successful integration of you into the team. Yeah. I, I think that 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 is true, but sometimes it's a hard, hard thing to convince the guy with the pocketbook is not always the, it's not always the team, right? Especially the bigger the company is that maybe the person up at the top isn't recognizing that because you're not impacting their day to day. And maybe there's five levels of management between you and the person making the decision on whether you get to fly out there or not. Yep. That makes sense. Um, the smaller companies actually have a tendency to, be way more on board with flying me out day one um, it, or companies within the same time zone. If I can get to you for less than 500 bucks, I, I've, it's been a no brainer. 
for for most people. If it's if it's going to cost you know five thousand dollars to get me there, hotel and get me back, that's people are like, wait a minute. <laughs> unless unless the project manager has complete control over that budget, I, I can get you there for five hundred bucks. I'll just. FedEx your ass over there. <laughs> this week's hottest picks. All right, we're going to do our picks, and I'm going to go first. I saw uh, on Reddit that Kent Beck, he gave an interview on Hansel Minutes, uh, and the, the name of the interview was Test and Commit or Revert. So he does a whole discussion on there on Hansel Minutes about, uh, about that approach. Test, you know, write the test, write some code. Do you commit the code or you revert it and start over again. And uh, it's something that I've used as a practice for a long time, probably shoot for, I think I I started doing that probably 18 or 19 years ago when I first learned, um, when I first learned TDD. And one of the things that we talked about was refactor through deletion. It wasn't really, it wasn't really a thing, but it was a thing because if you, if you uh, make a test pass, but you don't like the code and you, and you don't see an easy way out of it, it's nothing doesn't hurt anything to nuke that code and start over. So anyway, check out that from Hansel minutes. And then last uh, episode, Amos recommended getting things done from, um, David Allen. And I just happened to notice that Amazon has it on Kindle for a dollar 99. So if you want that book, I have a link in the show notes where you can go out and grab it on Kindle. Hopefully it'll still be a dollar ninety nine when you get the link. So those are my picks. Amos, what are your picks for our episode this week? All right, I got I got three. So one of them you told me that I should should put in here earlier in this episode. I should have made so it my sh- pick. Shameless self promote. Uh Elixir Outlaws. It's a podcast all about uh uh we say the hallway track of the Elixir community. So it's it's like hallway track stuff, things that you would hear discussed in the hallway at a conference. Um, and then um, I had to go back, you know, I there for a while when we used to record, I was I was picking a, a beer or a spirit or something and I would have that during the podcast. So so I, I'm bringing that back and tonight. I'm drinking Gully Town. It's a double barrel aged, um, very similar to a. uh um, an Irish whiskey from Restless Spirits here in Kansas City. Um, it's really good. And then I have a book pick, and, and this is a book I love to hate. Um, there are things in here that I think are absolutely fantastic for software development, and other things that I'm like, don't tell people that because they're going to take it the wrong way and run in totally the wrong direction. Um, but that being said, I still think that this book should be talked about and, and, and the things in here should be discussed. So I'm picking a philosophy of software design or a, a post, as I like to call it, uh, by John Ousterhout. Um, it's, it's a pretty quick and simple read. Uh, if anybody out there reads about it. Let us know. I, I would like to get more feedback. We read it on my other podcast. Just to, just this is not not a first, but I, I want more more ideas about this book and how people feel. Okay, so I, you're recycling your pick, is what you're saying, basically. I am recycling my uh, pick. 
How dare you? I know. I'm a jerk. That's true. Okay. <laughs> thanks. Thanks a lot, John. All right. And thanks for all you for listening to This Agile Life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.